Hi there, I'm Ben Morton and welcome to another episode of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. This week, we have another of our very special medley episodes, which focuses on the age-old and much-debated topic that is work-life balance. Today, we have not the usual five, but six leaders who have all previously appeared on the show or will do very soon if you're listening to this live in the week that it goes out. And they're all talking to us about discussing and sharing their thoughts on what work-life balance means to them and how they personally go about managing their energy levels so that they can consistently play at their best. But before we get into this week's episode, folks, please do take just a couple of minutes to swing by my website at www.ben-morton.com where you can subscribe to my two-weekly newsletter to get a roundup of all of the latest podcast episodes, plus loads of additional leadership development resources to help you on your journey from good to great as a leader. But now though, and without any further delay, let's get into this week's episode and the first guest in the medley. Here we have Tony Harris, who first appeared way back on episode 85 of the show, sharing his thoughts on work-life balance. Tony, what does um, work-life balance mean and look like to you? And what do you do? What have you done over the years to really sort of maintain and manage your energy? I mean, work-life balance is a funny phrase now, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's, it's got us all... You know, it gets us all quite wound up, and it, and 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 people sort of tend to think it's about making sure we've gone home at five thirty, and people can spend time with their families and and stuff like that. I actually see it slightly differently. If you, and particularly if you're in a position of leadership, you know, the idea that you can switch it off and you're not thinking about the problems that you might be dealing with. Anybody who does that, congratulations. I mean, you really have found a superpower that would defeat Batman <laughs> because we don't, we do have to take some of these things home, but actually sometimes it's the change in environment. It's the clearing the air that you, that you do that, that helps that. I think the important thing is you in, in work-life balances, you just have to give yourself time. Mm. You always have to give yourself time, partly to do the things that you really enjoy and partly to empty your head a little bit i mean for me it's reading i actually uh, you know I, I love records and the old art of sitting down and listening to a record for yeah, 45 yeah. minutes is it, something that people don't do they tend to listen to music while they're doing other things i tend to sit and listen to music for 45 minutes and just you know the benefit of being able to just sit down and think is huge and i think that's actually what work-life balance is it's about making time and putting air around the problems that you are dealing with because if you can do that it's amazing how quickly they start to dissipate and you should make time for yourself and my number one tip is always when you've had a holiday the first thing you do when you come back is book your next one yeah so you always know you've always got 
a period that you know is, there's going to be a break. So I, that would be work-life balance to me. It's creating air around the issues so that you sometimes can see a different way through them. Yeah, I, I, just, I love that around how you very deliberately and intentionally sit and listen to listen to music you're so right actually like so many of us like music is in, in the background when we're doing something else now and, and it, it's great for that like music has a really great effect on productivity and all sorts of stuff but it's interesting I talk about this a lot and I would actually describe 45 minutes intentionally listen to to music as a leadership activity as a leadership task because through doing that you're subconscious mind will be working on stuff and processing stuff and you'll come away from that probably not always but many times with ideas solutions insights right as well as being relaxed and you've had that airtime and that that space it's it's one of the things i really encourage it's a lost art and actually the joy of it is because it's back to the old physical product you have to put it on there's a there's a sort of ritual that goes with it it's not like clicking it on Spotify and putting it on your headphones. Mm. It's, you know, that there's a sort of intentionality to it. I do try, I try and always read at least a book a week on anything just because there's always something somewhere in the written word that you can try and find. So it, it, they say, oh, to switch off. But, you know, you never switch. You can't switch off. You know, you can reprioritize in your head. And that's that's what you do. And sometimes giving some air can can help you. Yeah, I mean the whole switching off thing is uh is interesting, isn't it? If you really try and try and define it. So at one point I was of the mind that when we go on holiday, like you should completely like switch off like a switch and never look at kind of any work email on on holiday. And I was sort of quite militant in in my view around that and my wife and I used to not clash on it but we very much had a different view and then I suddenly realized actually she was right and I was wrong for her every couple of days for maybe 45 minutes dipping into her work stuff to see what was going on helped and enabled her to to switch off because I suddenly realized that I was being slightly hypocritical because for me actually what often happens on a holiday is the first few days I would just sit and completely relax. And then my subconscious mind will just start thinking about ideas and work projects. And at that point, my notepad comes out and I'm regularly writing down and capturing ideas and I'll read a, a business book and I go back to work and I didn't completely switch off on holiday and I go back to work relaxed, but full of new ideas and inspiration and the next round of tasks. So I get it comes back to your definition of work-life balance at, at the start, right? It's 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 more complex and nuanced than kind of this idea of it being perfectly balanced, 50-50, every day, stop work at half five, back to see the, the family and kids or, or whatever. In defense of your wife, you know, I remember days when we'd go on holiday before we had mobile phones or email or faxes. And I, it is right, you should always take two weeks holiday because it takes one week to get it out of your system and then mm. one week to do what you did, which is to, you know, suddenly you're fizzing, you know, the old synapses are snapping and you've got all sorts of things going on in your head. And that's lovely. But I also used to have that last three days of a holiday in the old days where it was like, I have no idea what is facing me when I go back. And actually, that could almost undo your holiday. You could undo a holiday really quickly by having no notion of what you'd walk back walk back into. And the higher up you go, the worse that, that would get. 
but now you know you can do. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I go well. I'll do, you know, I'll do half an hour every day just to clear anything because some people may not know I'm not around, or you know, it just makes me, it makes me relax more knowing that I've not got a bunch of people going. Oh, what do we do? Where's Tony? Horses for courses, as they say. Next up, folks, is Rachel Cook, the Managing Director at Thompson, who joined us in episode 90 with her thoughts on the same topic. Rachel, what does work-life balance, A, sort of mean to you? Because I think very much it means different things to different people. And what are some of the things that you really do to help you manage your energy as a leader? Work-life balance, for me, it's about, it's a completely personal thing, and it's about a happy equilibrium that works for you when it comes to work-life sort of split. And for me, I have made a career that I absolutely love, so I do not resent, generally, working out of hours, thinking about work. In fact, it inspires me to think about work after hours. So I'm not trying to, I don't want to get perfect division between two things. What I want is for me to be able to keep the right amount of energy for work and the right amount of energy for home and for one not to be sacrificed for the other. That's really hard and I don't always get it right and I don't think I ever will, but I don't want to turn off one and I don't, you know, for the other one to turn on. That doesn't work for me. So, um, so yeah, finding a balance that works for you so that work can be the thing that gives you energy rather than taking it away. Mm-hmm. But in terms of getting energy for being a leader, I am like a sponge. I can just listen to something or yeah, usually listen to something like a talk or which I don't do enough of or you know, I went to a, an open day for example on something totally random or on the menopause actually the other day so you know just going to see something that's outside of my own space bringing that into your life in some way uh, whether it's like I say a talk or a, or a documentary or whatever it might be I, that just fills me with energy and it's quite frustrating for people around me because I'll be like, right, I've got an idea. <laughs> and it's as soon as I've watched something like that and they're like, oh God, what's she got now? But I need that. I like to be topped up with just outside sources of inspiration, basically that are from heads that are not my own and that are not like the ones around me. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I also like what you said around sort of completely separating work and home life or, or, or non-work. Like I don't want to say it's impossible because the part of me thinks like nothing's truly impossible. But my personal view is I do think like any sort of aspiration to think we can completely separate those two parts of life and they won't bleed into and influence each other. I I just, it seems fairly unrealistic to me because the two are going to impact upon each other. Right. And I think if we're setting ourselves up to have this, this idea that I am going to completely switch off from one and I'm in home mode and then, right. At 8.15 tomorrow, I'm going to switch back on work mode. It's We're just setting ourselves up to feel disappointed and to continue beating ourselves up rather than being kind to ourselves, I think. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also, it would be a bit disappointing anyway. If if I had all my life in just a box, then, then what am I? It would be a bit dull, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. I love the fact that I come home. Well, not come home. I am home. But, you know, I'm inspired by what I do when I can talk about it. I, talk, I don't talk about all the, the, the rubbish bits, but I talk about the good bits that people are interested in. And the best bits of my outside life influence what I do at work. And I think it'd be really boring if it wasn't the case. Maybe that means, again, that I'm in a privileged job, though. I don't know. But I'm glad that I'm in this position. And, yeah, I like it this way. And let me now introduce Jonathan Reynolds, founder and CEO of Mindful Life, Mindful Work, Inc., giving his unique perspective on work-life balance and energy management. 
being sort of more responsive versus reactive, slowing down, being able to kind of be in the the present as an individual or or as a leader, because that's what we generally talk about on this show, isn't necessarily a direct correlation between that and and mindfulness. But at the same time, I'm very, very interested to explore mindfulness practice and meditation practice with you. Um, partly for my own interest and to help me on my own journey here as well as listeners. But what's your, can you give us an insight into your current sort of practice and sort of what your journey to get to the point you're at now has has looked like? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's very helpful. And, and the first thing I'll do is contextualize that there's lots of things that could be considered mindfulness practice. There are some things that I sometimes refer to as mindfulness proper um, that are sort of real, uh, have a real historical lineage um, of thousands of years. Uh, I tend to fall into those mindfulness proper practices, but that's not to discredit or to undervalue uh, all those other practices that I might not refer to as mindfulness proper. Uh, so my, my path started in the 90s, and I started practicing um, meditation uh, with a focus on the breath. And so I practiced that for a couple of years. And then for about a six-year period, I did all concentration practices. Mindfulness or meditation practice falls roughly into two categories, concentration practices and insight practices. Concentration practices are those, they're the more well-known ones, I think, around sort of focus on the breath or focus on an internal sound, or, you know, it's, it's a withdrawing of our attention externally to focus internally. And even somebody who practices insight practices, which I do, um, all sessions, all meditation sessions start with growing the concentration because I'm coming from just getting out of bed and I'm sleepy or I'm distracted. If I'm in the middle of the day, I'm coming, you know, I, I'm coming with baggage. And so I think concentration is always a great place to start. Uh, so I spent about eight years total in that space uh, practice. And then around 2004, I started practicing insight practices uh, primarily in the Buddhist tradition, but again, they're found in other traditions. Uh, and then also compassion practice, which sometimes in the Buddhist tradition is called metta or loving kindness practice. And, uh, and so my daily practice is, you know, I walk sleepy into my meditation space and I set up the cushion and I sit down on the cushion. I sit on the floor. You don't have to, you can sit anywhere. One of my teachers says, don't sit in a weird shape. You're already weird enough, and, uh, <laughs> which is true. We're all weird, right? And, uh, and so, you know, I sit on the cushion. I start with a little bit. I have a little bit of a, an affirmation that I've used over the last 25 years that I sort of like self-designed um, just to sort of lead me in. And then I do a little bit of metta or loving kindness practice, which sometimes is internal phrases sending loving kindness to ourselves, to others, to the world, um, to people that challenge us even. Uh, sometimes it's just, you know, sort of feeling the body and feeling sort of the, you know, the emotional column, which is roughly the center, the central vessel of the body, you know, the heart and belly area. Um, and then I go into insight practice, which for me, insight practice is 
something very specific. I, I practice what are called the four foundations of mindfulness, uh, you know, which is body, um, sensation or subtle judgment, uh, and then uh, thoughts, emotions, and then expanding it slowly into more universal principles, I'll call them. And, uh, and I often just get to the first one. Or, you know, or I go first to three. It's not sequential. You don't have to do it in any specific way. Again, I, I think the most important thing when people practice is, is start slow. Start easy. Make it as easy as possible. And trust your intuition. Trust where you're guided. Have a little bit of teaching, a little bit, you know, it, it, it's helpful to have an individual teacher or to practice with others. So have some external influences. And once you're there doing it, trust your experience because your experience is true to the degree that it is, right? It's, it's, it's totally correct to be having the experience you're having, whatever it is. You know, sometimes when I'm practicing kindness, I'm feeling rage or I'm feeling anger. It's about planting the seeds and the intention. It's not about contriving kindness. It's not about faking nice or, you know, I mean, again, some communities whether mindfulness or work communities are sort of faking good all the time, that's not healthy either. And so really being with what's true, what is, and honoring that in yourself, that's your greatest learning. Experience is the greatest teacher. Uh, direct experience of your experience is really useful. And I think that's ultimately what a mindfulness practice cultivates is can you have an unaltered experience. People are always having alt trying to have altered states of consciousness. All you have to do is drink a cup of coffee to have an altered state of consciousness. It affects you. You know, or eat a heavy meal or a light meal, you'll feel different. The challenge and the practice is to have an unaltered, totally pure, like a baby, but with wisdom and experience. So to have that beginner's mind and yet all of your life learning comes to bear on that beginner's mind. Our next soundbite comes from Adam Hickman, the managing director and co-founder at Med Rescue from episode 93. Here's what Adam has to say. Adam, what does work-life balance mean to you? Work-life balance is um, about being honest with yourself, I think, about working out what's important to you and getting that balance right. And I don't know if I've found the answer to the perfect work-life balance. I don't know if anybody does but i think yeah it comes down to being being honest taking that time to think about you are you are you happy in what you're doing and having priorities i suppose that's, i guess that would be the key is having some priorities and, and being very very clear in the mind about, about what they are and don't stress and one thing i've told myself is don't don't stress if it's not always exactly right because i think everybody struggles with it particularly over covid it, it's been business life and personal life has become so intertwined one thing i do that beginning to place have a separate area for work and for, for personal life you know i'm, I'm lucky i've got a converted garage where i can go and once that door shut that's my work kind of to a certain extent left behind and then i go into dad mode and the wisdom keeps on coming folks this next clip is from a more recent episode episode 94 and features Lynn Penman who is the UK's leading solution focused mental health expert sharing her unique thoughts 
insights and experience on the work-life balance conundrum. Lynn, what does work-life balance mean to you? Because I think it means very different things to different people. Work-life balance means to me that if you have intellectual mind control and if you're solution focused and you know how to manage your mind, then work-life balance is something that will just come very, very easily and very, very naturally to you because you won't be feeling guilty about spending too much time at work. You won't be second-guessing yourself. You won't be feeling stressed. You'll be sleeping well at night time. Ultimately, living from the now state gives you the perfect work-life balance. And I'm saying that as a single mum to four kids, Ben, who's just written my first book and who has all the trials and tribulations that any single working mum does. And absolutely anything is possible with your mental wellness once you learn the proper tools and techniques to to do it. And that's a brilliant lead in to the follow up question I wanted to ask you, which was, what are some of the things that you personally do to manage your energy levels and keep your keep your mental health healthy if that, if that makes sense absolutely I pretty much live and breathe all the things that I have learned and that I have written about in my book and ultimately that is being able to enjoy myself in the very present moment and not spend my time either away back in the past regretting things and feeling sad or about being away in the future and future projecting things one of the other things that I recommend as well it's a really really helpful little tip is to think about what I call the three p's so it's thinking about positive action and positive interaction which leads to positive thinking it's the quickest way to naturally boost your serotonin we all have days when we're thinking oh no I can't be bothered I've got too much on my head's totally like bumming here all the stuff that I've got to do but it's stopping every day even looking in that mirror and saying to yourself okay Yes, I know that I've got a lot of on, but if I want to be feeling mentally well, if I want to keep my stress bucket empty, what am I doing today from a positive action? What am I doing from a positive interaction? Because that will always lead to positive thinking. Think about you and I right now. We're both smiling, like doing this podcast. It's wonderful doing things like this. We're both got a positive action. We're both interacting positively. We're not sitting here doing what everybody does when we normally jump on the phones to our friends or our colleagues and moaning about things being negative and this and that being wrong. We're both getting our positive action and interaction right now, which means that for the rest of the day, the chances are our thoughts that come into our awareness will be positive in regards to what we've spent time doing today. So think about your three Ps, positive action, positive interaction, which leads to positive thinking. And some days... Some days, Ben, I have to force myself to literally be right. Okay, Lynn, when you go to bed tonight, you want to be feeling all right. You want to have room in that stress bucket so you're not waking up in the morning, shouting at the kids when they spill milk all over the the floor and wondering why that client's cancelled at the last minute. And I always make sure that I do my three Ps, always. And finally, last but by no means least, let me introduce our final leader, On this medley episode, Andrew Lever, the CEO at the Brand Partnership Group, who, if you're listening to this the week it's released, hasn't yet appeared on the show, but will do so in episode 98. Andrew, what does work-life balance mean to you personally? I get asked this a little bit, and again, I always give the same answer, Um, and it probably, it, it, it changes in some respect, going from a corporate world into a, um, a, an agency and, a, and an owner world, 
where I typically try not to, it might sound really stupid, but I don't try and separate the two. Um, and there's a reason for that. I think if you, if you focus too much on it and, and, and try and measure it and manage it, it can become a big distraction. I think if you um, embrace it, I mean, a good example would be that I get my kids to come in and work in the office when they're not at school. So half terms, when we're not away, I'll typically get them to come in and be part of it. If I go and do store visits, I'll take the family with me sometimes and do store visits because I'm doing it. Yeah, I love that. I can be doing it a weekend or I can be doing it late into the to the evening. Um, and they then feel that there's there's no I'm I'm going to work and I'm 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 out of that kind of at home environment. Um, and I do tend to when I'm working from home. I'll spend more time in the house and less time in the office. And again, I'll try and adjust the environment to what's going on on any given day. I, I, I would never say I'm, I'm fixated on it has to be this amount of time at work and this amount of time at home and I'm fixed to doing all these kind of things because, it, again, it, it puts too much structure, rigour, um, and I think you can then start to overthink it and it can then... You're then almost creating a problem when there's not necessarily a problem there to start with. So, so, I, so I, I try and not separate it. That makes sense. It does. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I love that approach. And linked to that, how do you go about sort of managing your energy? What are some of the approaches you take and the tactics that you that you use? I sit in the car and I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I get inspired and I get energy from um, from things I hear and listen to. Um, I try and get out and spend as much time with the teams in the field. Um, seeing it in, again, the empathy, understanding it from, from others' point of views, the challenges that they face, how we can help them be better in the job that they do. Um, and, yeah, just... just I get, I get energy and inspiration from, from others around me. The more time I spend with people, the more energy I, I typically get. And that can be friends, family, um, teams around me here in, in, in the office or, or out in the field um, or, or, or spending time with clients. You, you just you feed off other people and you, you, you get energy from, from the conversations that you can have and the opportunities that you can identify. There you have it, folks. That was our third medley episode. If you've enjoyed this format, then do go ahead and check out our other medley episodes. They are episode 74, which was focused on building and leading great teams. And then again, episode 79, which focused on the topic of motivation. In particular, how do we keep our teams motivated? One final thing before you go, a quick one for you. If you have taken value from this free podcast, please do share the link to the show with your friends and colleagues so that they can get value from it as well. And do please take a moment to connect with me via LinkedIn and let me know what your thoughts are and what you think. I'm on there as Ben Morton Leadership. 
I'm pretty active, so I'll see your connection request or comments pretty quickly for sure. That's it for this episode, folks. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you got value from it. Take care, and until next time, lead on. Lead on.